Connor here back with Salah and today we're going to talk about a very important topic probably the one that got us both interested in everything we talk about in general and that topic of course is the 2015 democratic prime no I'm kidding it's Palestine (laughs) yeah I'm going to see if I can add a drum roll there and post uh, <laughs> Go for but, it. yeah thanks for uh, leading us into that um yeah like palestine has been like a pretty big issue very recently this is the first week of july that we're recording this because israel said well in advance that it would start to annex parts of the west bank um, and what that means is they want to take away parts of jericho parts of the jordan valley and essentially displace around 20,000 Palestinians, I think it was, to build and continue building Israeli settlements. Obviously, this has gotten a lot of people a lot more invested in Palestine. It's gotten a lot more people invested in the issue. And what's been pretty cool to see is that very recently, we've also had a lot, like a shift in the discussion in American politicians as well, right? So we've seen like Bernie and AOC both push for a bill to tie Israel's funding, which is $4 billion a year, to their, I guess, peacekeeping process, right? To make sure that they actually try to maintain the peace instead of annexing the West Bank. So they're essentially saying, if you start annexing, we're not going to pay you anymore. Yeah, this this like would have been impossible, literally like five plus years ago yeah it wouldn't have even been considered yeah yeah like i think bernie sanders is the only senator that signed this like letter or whatever but this is still huge bernie's been holding it down for like 40 years now but to have congress people signing on to this stuff with him so aoc ilhan omar rashida Tlaib, pramila jayapal and I think there's one or two others. But yeah, like this is really exciting. Yeah, for sure. And we've seen like pretty widespread protests like across the world, actually. Anywhere we've seen them in Italy, we've seen them in San Francisco and Los Angeles, San Diego, Toronto, Mississauga, all these protests that are pretty sizable. And they're all against annexation, obviously. And before I like get into like the current climate i just want to clarify that i don't think this podcast episode is going to really touch on like the palestinian history so much because i feel like yeah because oftentimes Palestine didn't exist until 10 years ago like i feel like a lot of times like israel just kind of try to use a lot of these technicalities to excuse human rights abuses they often say yeah. oh palestine was technically not even a country it's not a nation and it's like Yeah, okay, if you want to say all that, even if you assume all of that is true, that doesn't excuse you kicking people off of that land. It doesn't excuse you murdering hundreds of thousands of people. It doesn't excuse you creating one of the world's largest refugee crises. And it especially doesn't excuse the current treatment of Palestinians. You know, So there's so many technicalities that go into it that I don't think it's as relevant as... Israelis want to make it seem, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, like, that's like the classic way people argue when 
they know their point is wrong. They bring up like these weird nerd technicalities, right? To try and like distract from their point being wrong. It's it's that, but on it's like annoying Ben Shapiro type of argument, but on a an international scale. Yeah, yeah. Like there was this one person on on Facebook. She was talking about food benders, the restaurant in Toronto that recently got vandalized. She was essentially saying, oh, they're anti-Semitic because they said that the Israeli flag was a cop flag and they're ignoring that the Star of David was a Jewish symbol. So I went up and looked at the post and the actual post said, the Israeli flag is white for supremacy and blue for cop, which is like not talking about the Star of David at all. And it's not like an anti-Semitic trope to say that Israel is a white supremacist police state. That's that's not a Jewish stereotype. How else would you describe you know it? I mean? Yeah, that's just criticism of Israel. So I point that out. And then she's just like, oh, she also perpetrates like this Epstein uh, conspiracy theory that they're tied to the Mossad. And I'm like, first of all, you're moving goalposts, right? Mm-hmm. Like just right off the bat, as soon as I disprove your first comment, you're moving goalposts. Secondly, you're trying to like, excuse and validate this vandalism and violence against this food vendors restaurant like anti-semitism has a pretty like it's it's a pretty robust definition for it right you know like there are tropes right there are like anti-semitic things that have happened in the past like there's there's that russian book from the early 1900s called the protocols of the elders of zion which is basically like this debunked hoax book about how jewish people like control the world and what their plan is etc yeah but you know when you can literally say you know her dad was eulogized by mossad agents and blah 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 and these things are just facts It's not like a trope. It's not a conspiracy. It's just like a fact. And the the problem is they they like weaponize it so much. Yeah, pretty much. Losing all like any meaning. It was it wasn't an Arab who posted this or shared this story, by the way. It was, uh, I think, somebody of Hispanic descent um, or Latinx. And she she posted this story about essentially what happened was there was this food vendors restaurant in Toronto and it got vandalized by uh, Zionists, right? She put a sign up saying, I love Gaza on the front of her storefront window. And then it got spray painted over with like the Israeli flag. Um, She got a lot of death threats and there were like alt-right Zionists standing in front of her store, holding protests and things like that or rallies. Yeah. So, It's not like, and then in response to this, she said, oh, well, she posted that post about how like the Israeli flag is a cop flag, which is totally misconstruing what exactly happened. That's not what she said. And then the second thing is it's totally muddying the timeline. All of these protests and all of this violence and all of these death threats happened before she posted that post about the the Israeli flag. This was completely in response to the I love Gaza stuff. Supporting human rights does not make you an anti-Semite. You know, whether they're Palestinian human rights or what, like 
having a flag saying I love Gaza does not make you an anti-Semite. And the funny thing is, you know, to take anyone seriously, they have to be consistent with their principles and their values and their arguments, right? So every Zionist is vehemently against BDS. BDS is anti-Semitic. BDS is singling out Israel, blah, blah, blah. But then they basically shut down this store because it has the audacity to, to have a Palestinian flag in the storefront. So where's the consistency there? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like this, like I'm happy to see how much the, the story and the paradigm has kind of like shifted in favor of Palestinian rights recently. Mm-hmm. I feel like with the, with the, I guess, progress of progressive movements, Palestinian rights has kind of become a core value. You know, yeah. people are yeah. starting to recognize um, that it's completely just one-sided brutalization. And that's yeah. because a lot of Israel's narratives are kind of falling apart, right? So like one of the biggest things, one of the like the biggest narratives that Israel has, and this is like all of Israel's narratives are heavily dependent on people being ignorant. You know what I mean? Even if it's just like the stuff about saying like Palestine never existed. They're shifting a goalpost there and they're trying to say like, oh, if I don't know that Palestine never existed, or they're trying to get you to think, oh, if I didn't know that Palestine never existed, maybe I'm wrong about all this other stuff, right? But whether or not Palestine existed does not allow you to brutalize or oppress this population, right? And then the second thing that they say that they love to say is if Palestinians put their weapons down today... Israel or the Middle East would be peaceful. But if Israel put their weapons down today, Israel would cease to exist. Now, I want to like juxtapose that with what's happening in the West Bank. So the West Bank is led by someone named Mahmoud Abbas, right? And he bends over backwards to please Israel. Palestinian authorities do not arrest settlers. They don't arrest IDF police. They don't arrest Israeli citizens. They only arrest Palestinians at the instruction of the Israeli government. So you have the Israeli government and the Palestinian government against the Palestinians in the West Bank. There's no resistance in the West Bank. There's no weapons. There's no rockets being hidden. There's nothing like that. There's no Hamas there. And at the end of the day, what happens? They still continue to build settlements. They continue to annex. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, like, think about when that argument would make sense in any other context. So basically that that statement you just said that they say is basically saying they're not allowed to do something, but I am. It, It just like logically doesn't make sense. I think what's even more important than these things though, and maybe we should spend some time on this because it's more insidious is the is both sides in it you know people will say like my my sister-in-law sent me messages from a friend yesterday and her friend went on her birthright trip a few years ago and she was basically saying listen i I know how you as a palestinian are feeling and i'm sorry for all the bad things happening but you know we're just trying to live there too and it would be so great if we could all just get along peacefully and stuff. And 
you know, that, that sounds like a nice thing to say, right? Who would disagree with that? But when you know the history and the context and you know how Israel's borders have changed over the last 70 years, you know that that argument only exists to allow uh, the status quo to continue. And the status quo is working for Israel and it's not working for Palestine. Yeah, both sides in it is 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 the only reason this whole conversation has gone on so long. You know, like the the only reason mm-hmm. the discussion has been allowed to like last is because of both sides in it and saying like, why don't we both live in peace when only one one entity has all the power? That's like, like imagine if 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 they said like, hey man, why don't like why don't the police and black people just get along? And it's like, yeah, that is entirely in the hands of the police. That's entirely their responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you want to know which side to be on as an unbiased person who is a good person and is moral and stuff, just look at how Israel's borders have changed over the last 70 years. That tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, exactly. Basically, what that return that resulted in is Israel now has some semblance of control over at least 70% of the West Bank. Like I've been there, right? And you can't, as a Palestinian, I can't go from Bethlehem to Ramallah, for example, which are like 20, 25 minutes apart in any other world, in any other country. I can't get, I can't access them as a Palestinian. I can't go between cities unless I have work authorization in my own country. And it takes me an hour and a half to get there as well. So like in that, like because of all the checkpoints, because of the Palestinian only roads, because I am not allowed to drive through settlements to get to my destination. Right. So imagine if if I wanted to get from Toronto to Mississauga, I had to drive through Barrie to get there. It's a ridiculous system set up there, just like completely set up for Palestinians to fail exclusively by the authority, which is Israel. Like, there is no two sides. No. Yeah, like, you know, I I think people usually, especially these days, recognize when Zionists are anti-Palestine and pro-Israel, when they say, you know, like, I don't even know what they say because I don't pay attention to it. But people usually know what they're reading when they see that. But when people get caught up and when it's dangerous is when people both sides it. Because, like, if you don't know any better, it seems like the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Like, if you didn't know anything about police brutality or black history, you would think, yeah, like, cops and black people should get along. What's wrong with that? Yeah, exactly. We've been talking about the West Bank pretty exclusively, right? And I I visited the West Bank, right? So I know that, for example, like I've seen firsthand the kind of power Israelis constantly kind of flex in front of the Palestinians, right? They'll constantly pull kids aside and start interrogating these 12-year-olds, right? And this this is a dude with an assault rifle, right? He's just like pulling aside this 12-year-old in flip-flops 
you know, pulling him by the back of his back of his neck and be like, yo, where are you going? You know what I mean? Get out of here. You know, mm-hmm. constant intimidation. And this is most apparent in Hebron or Al-Khalid, where I went there next to the uh, Abrahamic mosque. Yeah. What happens is they will shut down that entire area at like 200 times a year. And they'll start playing this parade, right? Where they just go off insulting uh, Egyptian wife. And they play that and they shut down the roads. Um, and they shut down all these Palestinian businesses. And you can see even the difference between like an Israeli building and a Palestinian building. So what they do is they take over a Palestinian building. They'll force them out of their homes and they'll basically make it an Israel only building. And in front of that building, and this is like in the middle of a Palestinian neighborhood in front of that building, they have AstroTurf and they put like a playground for the kids. And there's like two or three Israeli soldiers with assault rifles, I guess in the name of safety. Right. But they leave the entire rest of the Palestinian community to be completely just like ridiculously impoverished. Right. It's almost ridiculous because it's like, you know, when you hear the stories of like, oh, the rich side of town and the poor side of town, it's more like the rich building. And then right next to it is the poor building. And it's exclusively because they're Israeli. Right. Yeah. Like Um, they have. if If you're familiar with like segregation in the U.S., look at pictures of Hebron today and you'll you'll realize that what's going on there today is bad yeah like the the abrahamic mosque has a muslim only entrance there are jewish only roads because to them it's like they believe in like jewish superiority so they have like jewish only roads and then everybody else type of thing they have jewish only entrances they have and this is all controlled by israel right i have a feeling like this is going to like spark some kind of like equal but separate type conversation but it's definitely not like there's so much freedom of movement when you're an Israeli versus when you're not like, I have to go through these like revolving prison doors, you know, the ones with like the bars on them and everything. I have to take off literally anything that could be metal, like my glasses, my phone, my rings, everything go through a security scanner. My entire family had to do that, including my like 10 year old little sister. We had to do that just to get into like the Abraham mosque region or neighborhood. You know what I mean? And we were only allowed to do that because we had like a travel visa as a Canadian passport. Other people, like literally other people in Hebron can't do that. Like they can't just go in whenever they want. You know what I mean? So it's ridiculously restrictive. It's such blatant segregation. So I want to point out two things, right? To show the degree of power imbalance between Palestinians or Arabs and Israel. In Israel, to build a house or to buy a house, you need like a housing permit. And something like 90% of Arab applicants are rejected. Whereas something like 20% of Jewish applicants are rejected. 5%. It's some ridiculously small number in comparison to the number of Arabs that can't even buy land. The whole idea of Israel and all of their actions since it was created has been an exercise in hypocrisy you know we deserve our own country but these people don't we deserve to build a house but these people don't like 
I don't know. Like, as someone who's, like, been in the know or whatever for this for, like, most of my life, like, it just boggles my mind still that there's, that you can know anything about this and not be pro-Palestine. Another example of both sides of it is calling it a war or even a conflict. Yeah. That implies that there's some kind of uh, power equality on each side, and there's not. 100%. And and I think that that is also like pretty apparent, even in, I guess, the conflicts that they like to bring up. Like if you look at the, I guess, the largest, most recent battle between Israel and Palestine is the 2014 Gaza war where Israel killed 2000 people, 1500 of whom were non-combatants Palestine or Gaza Hamas, I guess I should say killed something like 60 something soldiers and four civilians. So like right off the bat, like if you're looking just at pure ratios here, Hamas comes out as a lot more moral than the IDF does. But what I want to point out is not that. It's more the weaponry imbalance, right? So you have, at the time, they said that they launched or they destroyed 3,000 rockets of Hamas's, right? And this was after they were called out on killing children on the beach, playing, so like no rockets in sight. They were bombing hospitals and schools that the UN said did not have rockets in them. So this was in response. They said, we destroyed 3,300 rockets or some some number like that, some ridiculously accurate number. Um, so what they did was in that time, they launched something like 3,000 airstrikes and tons of naval shelling, right? So that means they launched one airstrike per rocket. Right. Do you like you can kind of see how ridiculous that is. If, if Hamas is like fertilizer stuffed Pepsi cans of rockets, which is basically what they are. Right. If those rockets were stockpiled one per building. Then you still had overkill. Right. You still launched enough airstrikes for like one rocket per airstrike. And you had a bunch of naval shelling. You had a bunch of tank shelling. And you had Israeli soldiers uh, going inside and like snipers and shooting civilians and shooting medics and things like that. There's re- zero proportionality to the response, like mathematically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just doesn't add up. The, the idea of like both sides need to lay down their weapons is so incorrect. And we've seen that in the West Bank where they're still annexing it. They're arresting like 500 kids a year and putting them in military courts. You've seen that in Gaza, where as soon as they open the border, Gaza stops fighting back. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, Israel can kill Israel can kill millions of Palestinians without a weapon. So that right there tells you that the issue isn't like weapons or fighting or anything. It goes deeper than that. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they can literally starve them to death. And when you realize how in it the corporate world is, like, I mean, we saw with food vendors, right, that Uber Eats and I think it was DoorDash, these companies like immediately severed ties with her after like 
alt-right Zionists came to her door. You know what I mean? Um, and started giving her death threats, saying things like, yeah. we want you to cater for a party where we're going to kill all the Muslims, kill all the Palestinians. You know, Muslims all deserve yeah. to go to hell. They're a scourge on earth, you know? Um, and then you have, in the more corporate sense, uh, Google Maps, right? Uh, Google Maps, if I want to go from Beit Lahem to Ramallah or from Ramallah to Jericho, for example, uh, Google Maps doesn't actually let you put in an address. So it'll, if I say Jericho, for example, it'll take me to the outskirts of Jericho, right? But it will not actually give me an address inside Jericho. Like that's not allowed. And Google Maps doesn't even have the correct access points for the apartheid wall. Like we had to drive along along that wall for like half an hour, 45 minutes before we were able to get out of Bethlehem because we didn't know where the checkpoint was and Google Maps didn't tell you. So there's absolutely zero freedom of movement. And like just to see how I guess the corporate world is so in tune with that and so okay with it was disheartening because it's like a much bigger fight than I thought it was. Yeah, that's a that's another good angle to look at this issue as. You know, okay, we already talked about on the ground how it's not even-sided. Well, also with corporations, it's not even-sided. Look at how, how all these companies handle uh, Israel versus Palestine. A lot of these companies have offices in Israel. They do engineering and, and business in Israel, but you'll never find that in Palestine. They're creating jobs in Israel, not Palestine. Their products work in Israel, but not in Palestine. And you can basically do this for like any like uh, part of society. You can do it for businesses. You can do it for like educational institutions. You can do it for like real estate. It's pretty yeah. crazy. It's, it's like segregation, and- not only in the physical sense, but in every other sense. Um, another thing we should talk about is the two state solution. So that's something you hear about a lot from politicians and companies and stuff saying they support the two state solution. So what that means is basically ever since 1967, when the current internationally recognized borders of Israel were established, the goal of the international community, the UN, different US presidents, etc., has been to establish a Palestinian state, an autonomous Palestinian state. So that's why they call the two-state solution Israel and Palestine. But the reality is this is not viable anymore, and it hasn't been for decades. And that's because of Israel's continued encroachment into Palestinian territory. If you tried to make a state out of what Palestine is today, it would be basically hundreds or thousands of little islands with no geographic, uh, like no physical connection to one another. Yeah, no physical unity. Yeah, so if a Palestinian wanted to visit his parents, for example, he would literally have to cross two borders to get there 
And it's, it's just like, it doesn't make sense anymore, but they still say it's the goal. And again, that's because they want to maintain the status quo. The only thing yeah. that makes sense now, really, and, you know, like we're not saying Israel should not exist. Obviously, the way it started was a problem and hundreds of thousands of people became refugees thousands of people died thousands were were raped or robbed etc they started but with with acts of terrorism like their airport yeah. is named after a terrorist that yeah. blew up a like, hotel or something first, like that yeah look up the first few leader leaders of israel and you'll find that they, before Israel was created, were members of terrorist gangs called the Irgun and the Stern Gang who killed Palestinians. That's where the government in Israel came from. Anyway, we're not saying Israel should not exist, but the only viable solution for the future is a one-state solution. And you'll hear people talking about this more and more as more people become aware of that. But what it means is one country for Israelis and Palestinians with equal rights. And, you know, you might be thinking, wow, that sounds great. Why, why hasn't that happened yet? And it does sound great and it would be great, way better than what's happening today. But the reason it hasn't happened is because Palestinians on average have like five kids per family and Israeli families have two kids per family. So what Israel realizes is that if it had a bunch of Palestinians with equal rights within a few decades, Palestinians would be the majority. And if the country was a democracy, they would eventually like vote based on their interests for once and the Israelis wouldn't enjoy what they enjoy today. So that's why for Israelis, the status quo needs to stay exactly where it is. Yeah. I think I'd take it one step further and say that they consider it a demographic threat more than anything. It's, it's genuinely, they like, it's been stated by several of their lawmakers and their policymakers who are still holding power today that they consider Arabs a demographic threat. And Netanyahu himself has said it several times. And he's not talking about Palestinians. He just means Israeli Arabs. Like, he's saying people that are already part of their citizen, like, part of the country, they're citizens of Israel, they're a demographic threat. So he, they clearly have a desire for an ethnostate, right? And that, that won't, happen in a one-state solution right right i know you're saying though like the two-state solution has been the goal for so long it's it's kind of difficult to now shift the conversation to a one-state solution um but if you think about it why if something has been part of the conversation for so long and the consensus is that the conversation itself has been pro-israel for so long why would the two-state solution even be part of the conversation if it wasn't heavily in Israel's favor. You know yeah, what I mean? It's kind too. of a bit of a manufacturing consent scenario where it's like the only reason this is being discussed is because we're allowed to discuss it. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I remember I had like this one event at at um at UW, U Waterloo. Um I had this one event where we were holding a Palestine booth or something like that. And then an Israeli came up to me and he started talking to me and he was like, So like, what is Israel supposed to do about like all the violent people and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, in twenty twelve to twenty thirteen when Mohammed Mursi was elected president, right? When he was elected president, what he did was he opened the borders, the Rafah border. And during the year when those borders were open, rockets were not being launched. Like at the end of the day, you have to understand the Palestinian, like in Hamas, they are being blockaded and that's kind of like locking them in and they're being violent out of frustration. Like the West Bank, for example, is nonviolent because they, to some degree, have some element of free trade. You know what I mean? They still have food and water and things like that. And Gaza doesn't have any of that. And that's where that frustration is coming from. They're literally being starved to death in an open air prison. And he's like, okay, but what are the next steps? Like what happens next? Whenever I suggested a one state solution, he just completely did not register it he asked me he's like but what does that even mean like what's the one state then there will be no israel and i was like this wouldn't even be an issue if you guys gave palestinians their rights if you want to give palestinians their rights go ahead but that's not going to happen as long as there are clearly defined borders between what an israeli is and what a palestinian is uh, if you want to have an israel let there be a palestine properly yeah 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 you got it that if there is no Israel anymore, it's because Israel didn't let Palestine exist. If Israel stuck to its borders, maybe a two-state solution would have been viable, but it's not anymore. There's hundreds of thousands of Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Also, like the, the idea that Israel existing is more important than people's lives doesn't hold any water with me. I believe people should be given the right uh, of self-determination. Like, look at the Kurds. I think the Kurds should get their own country if they want it. I think Quebec should get its own country if it wants it. Because as someone who's pro-Palestine, I need to be consistent with my beliefs. So if... Uh, Israel wants to exist. It should be, but that can't happen at the expense of millions of other people, right? This is not a case where it's like empty land as much as they'd like you to believe that. There's people's lives on the line. Like people need to live. You know, the, the, who is it that said like, I would trade all the wealth in the world to make sure that one person doesn't starve or something or one person doesn't starve right. to death? Yeah, I think um, I said that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something you'd say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was some semblance of that. This idea of a nation and its demographic being more important than than its uh, human rights. I mean, like it's literally the founding concept yeah. for like Jim Crow laws. You know? Yeah, That's or literally not what it was. Yeah, it's literally the founding concept for it. It's the idea that like. They didn't want interracial marriages. They didn't want like to muddy the pool. You know what I mean? That's literally what the driving force behind 
all apartheid and segregation ever was. What's unbelievable to me is these liberals who support Israel, because they'll acknowledge that diversity in the United States or Canada is good, but then they'll say, no, Israel needs to be a Jewish state. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I think if there's one... I think if there's one takeaway I'd like people to get from this episode, it's the one state solution is the only uh, just outcome for this whole situation in the future. It's the only one. The two state solution will not work anymore. And there's a reason Israel does not want the one state solution to happen I I went through those points. So keep an eye out for that. I think people are going to start talking about it more and more. And it's up to people like us to advocate for it and to educate people about it. Yeah, yeah. I hope that, like, I mean, like, I hope some people found this informative or, or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, just, I guess, like, now it's 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 publicly available or publicly apparent um from what the the mass opinion is that that supporting Palestine is the right thing to do and supporting the Palestine and supporting Palestine is is accessible you know so if if there's one action item to take away from this podcast you know or from this episode if there's one action item to take away it's to keep applying pressure uh, everywhere, you know, whether it's capitalist pressure, whether it's political pressure, social pressure, you know, inform people because a lot of this, a lot of the Israeli oppression and maintaining the Israeli status quo is dependent on ignorance. Another action item is when you see people either lying about these situations or just commenting on it without the facts, call them out and make sure they know like that's not okay. For some reason, people these days think civility is more important than justice and we got to fix that. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So inaction is being complicit. So if not, if you can do nothing else, if you can't donate money, if you can't protest, if you can't volunteer, if you can't organize, use your voice. Like literally like an Instagram story is infinitely better than nothing. Yeah, 100%. All right, guys. Thanks for listening in to another episode of Profits Over Profits. This has been Salah and Connor. We hope to see you next time.